everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. This is really cool. I'm actually sitting in my home office with my good friend, Jerry Nichols. Jerry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Now, Jerry and I met probably six, seven years ago at the Pinnacle Forum Conference. Jerry and I are now both in a Pinnacle Forum. And if you guys aren't familiar with what Pinnacle Forum is, it's for men and women. It's more than a Bible study. We get together, we learn, we encourage each other toward action. Uh, We're really focused on our own spiritual growth. I never heard of the concept of having my own spiritual goals before. You know, I've had those in business, right? And then we pray for each other individually, which is incredibly powerful. Our prayer requests are not like, hey, you know, my sister's sick and, you know, things like this, which are valid prayers, don't get me wrong. But sometimes we need to say, hey, this is, guys, let's just get real and raw here. This is where I'm at spiritually. This is where I need prayer this week. It could be a business decision, something going on with my relationship, my finances, how I'm dealing with people. You know, Jerry, you've been part of this for a while. What are your thoughts just on the forum and what you've gotten out of the forum as we've been in it together? Well, I think the forum, Pinnacle Forum and its focus is on influential leaders that may not be members of a church. So kind of unchurched, influential leaders. And that's not to be confused with affluence, but it's influence. Mm -hmm. And when you have someone that has influence, that can be an enormous asset for the kingdom. And most generally in the little C church, they'll put that guy out parking cars or taking the offering. And this guy has enormous capacity or this leader, she's got amazing connectivity and those assets and resources aren't being utilized because they're being dumped over on parking lot duty, which is not to say if you do parking lot duty, that's a bad thing. I'm just simply saying sometimes the resources there. And so when you think of, are not being utilized to their potential and in the pinnacle form group, it kind of starts working through that process of deepening your walk. What does God want you to do as opposed to me telling or a church leader telling what the Holy Spirit revealing to you. And sometimes this is the first time, like you mentioned, that, that like, what do you mean spiritual goals? What's that? Or what do you mean the leadership of the Holy Spirit? What's that? What are you guys doing here? This is a cult? You know, it's just, <laughs> you know, it's just some of the terminology and some of the thought process. And then why? Why does it matter? And then they start unpacking that and looking at the eternal aspects. Are you internal? Are you external? Or are you eternal? And when you look at the eternal piece, you can change the world with one person. And what I love about it, too, it's actually, how do you actually take all this great thinking and some of the theological great discussions that feel good, but actually move them into action? Mm -hmm. How do we move them actually into making an impact? You know, what is some kingdom work? And that's why I asked Jerry to be here as part of the podcast today to share with you, because Jerry, over the last six months as we've been in our forum, has, has just naturally moved into a leadership role. I would say, you know, Jerry is not I'm sure say this yourself, you're not the guru, you're not the expert, but you're like that Sherpa, right? That is right there alongside you as you're climbing the Himalaya, who just uh, is maybe a couple steps ahead of you, who's just thought about some of these things, some of the journeys you've been through life. We're going to be sharing some of, Jerry's going to be sharing some of uh, his story, his journey, but I've never met just a man who just has such an incredible heart for God. You're an entrepreneur. You've been in, you know, just for a little bit of Jerry's background, right? Fortune 100 finance company. You have a number of companies that you have right now. One's growing incredibly. Jerry is very involved 
inner city doing volunteering. You work with the homeless. I know you work with another causes. I mean, Jerry, I mean, you absolutely walk the walk, but you've also been through some things that I believe have given you a perspective that has really, I know, has added incredible value for me in my life. Like when I, we were just for everybody out there, right? You guys know a lot of the work that we're doing with the coaching and the speaking and the training and the work that we've been able to do with the government, and the military. When I was at a inflection point, I'm like, wow, I really have to make a decision on what to do and how to do it and how to tie this into God. Jerry, you were one of the first guys I called. I remember we were just talking about it. We got together at Starbucks and just dove into that. So here's how I'd love to start is, you know, so people can really get to know you. If you can kind of take us all the way back, right? Growing up in the inner city. No, you were a total farm boy, weren't you? Actually, I was both. <laughs> both. Okay. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you just share kind of your whole journey. And let's just, there. I know there's going to be some points along the road that we're just going to dive into. And yeah. so stay tuned, everybody. You're just going to love this conversation. But let me turn it over to you, buddy. Well, I would say that the first thing with my story is that it's mine. Mm -hmm. So be careful to use it for yourself <laughs> um, because I think the Holy Spirit can direct it specifically to you. And one size does not fit all. And the second thing I'd like to say before I get started is I am a broken, messed up, misfit and you think about the ragamuffin kind of thought process. I failed miserably many, many times, maybe even yesterday. <laughs> so so it's, it's not about a one and done. And a, I've got this amazing life that there's no imperfection in or that I'm not working on things. So that's one thing I want to be sure that it's a, it's a continual process. But I have come through a few hellish experiences. Um, kind of walking all the way, you know, from the beginning is I was uh, actually I'm a native of Baltimore. Uh, and so when I was a kid there, I remember my dad, we lived on the rough side of Baltimore, early 70s. And in the living room is a three-year-old, him teaching me, grab the ear, nose, throat, groin. <laughs> and you know, because you had to fight. You, I mean, it was a tough place to your, live. Your dad was teaching you this? Yeah. You, that was a so he knew the neighborhood. He was <laughs> like, Jerry, I don't want you to come home a, a, a mess. So. That's exactly right. So a three. Um, so about five, my dad finally said, you know, we got to get out of here. My mother was from Oklahoma. Her father owned a farm there. And we moved to Oklahoma from Baltimore to a little farm and double wide trailer. So, you know, I'm truly trailer trash or however you want to look at that. And, but, you know, it was just an amazing upbringing, loving home. Uh, didn't know we were poor, you know, from that standpoint, but it taught me to be innovative and creative and persevere through in hard work and those kinds of things. Uh, and they gave me a great value system. And in my family, there's no one with a degree still. And um, that's not necessarily good or bad, but I had the fortune, the blessing of being awarded an academic scholarship, full ride to Oklahoma State University. And But I didn't really know what university was or college was. And so I like to tell people I um, was so smart that I self-graduated in a year. And they look, wow, really? And I'm like, yeah, I quit. Because <laughs> here was this farm kid that went in there and they were talking about, you know, theory. And I didn't understand what baby courses or humanity courses. I was coming to get a career and to have, make a living, you know. And I was just shocked by theory. You know, I, if you think you're a big red apple, you are. What? No, you're not. <laughs> you're teaching me. You know, I'm out of here. I'm going to go make some money. Um, and I'll never forget Bernice Tran called me to thank me for the scholarship 
because it was one of those scholarships that you didn't use at all. It went to the next person, the runner up. And I knew I made a mistake when someone was calling me, thanking me for the scholarship. Like, hmm, maybe this wasn't such a smart idea. So that was an irrevocable decision. <laughs> yes, it was, unfortunately. And fortunately, God used it in a powerful way. Long story short, in just a bit, I ended up in Phoenix and uh, God had a plan, a path for me that was just extraordinary. I went to Phoenix with two Glide trash bags, $600 in my pocket, and what could go wrong? And the Lord put me in places. I got an internship with Senator John McCain's office. They Things went really well. They brought me on to staff. Things went really well there. So then they had me run their campaign for the Senate race in 92. So I got to meet the President of the United States. I got to meet, It was just extraordinary at 21 years old to be having these experiences. And went on, got finally went back to school, got my degree uh, in Bachelor's of Science in Political Science, and then an MBA from Thunderbird in International Business, and uh, went to work for Merrill Lynch. And it was uh, just an extraordinary opportunity for me to work with business leaders and people of influence. And that's when the light bulb started coming on that the kingdom of God and the assets of the kingdom of God and that influence that can further the kingdom of God. Now, what was your faith during this whole part of the journey, Jerry? What was, so you just said, okay, you, can, you start to see the connection between business and kingdom. So what, um, share a little bit about that as the spiritual side of the journey up to here also. Well, from that standpoint, I was raised in a home that was extraordinarily legalistic and fundamentalist. Mm. Um, we were the ones going to heaven. And if you wanted to go, you need to get on our bus. <laughs> and I'm not sure I'm overstating that. Um, but I did not know that at the time. Obviously, my family didn't know it. And we've changed dramatically, thankfully, through God's mercy and grace with that. But it was very, very judgmental and legalistic. But I was sold out. I was Saul before Paul. I was a zealot for God and wanted his kingdom to be furthered. I wanted to be in submission to that. The whole thing, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't mess around. All those kinds of things. My life was a model in that sense. Um, what I didn't know, it was that legalistic mindset and judgmental mindset and us and them and playing God. I just didn't realize I was doing that. But as I got into business and into life, God blessed me. I can't even begin to describe the things that happened for us and obviously with wealth and all the influence and all these things. And we'd always take our document and we'd make up a faux document, if you will, and sign it over to God. You know, so the title of the house may be at the county in our name, but we would create another little document and sign it over to God. So it was one of those things that the intention was pure. Mm -hmm. And my spouse had suffered with emotional and mental disorders and eventually that really manifested into violent bipolar where it just, you know, didn't know when the police were going to show up kind of thing. And I tell you, yeah, I was in that mindset of, you know, divorce against God's law. You go to hell if you get divorced, that kind of thing. And I just stuck it out for 26 years, you know, and probably 10 years too long, quite frankly. And that may mess with some people's theology, but it's part of my story. Uh, like I said, it's mine. When you say mess with theology, what do you mean by that? What do you do when? Everything goes, you've done everything you know to do, and you feel like you've, your motives have been pure. You may not have done everything perfectly, but you have done this for the greater good, in God's will, in His plan, having living a quote-unquote pure life, and everything goes to hell in a handbasket. 
and that's what happened. It, everything went to hell in the handbasket. And of course, you, know, you had the big Great Depression or uh, Great Recession, if you will, that's being called in 08, that happened kind of at the same time. So there was a lot of convergence there. And it just, it, I started drinking as the escape. And I'm telling you, John, I went over the edge. And finally, so much so, I ended up in St. Joe's Hospital, one of the largest hospitals in the Southwest. I was the chairman of the board, former chairman of the board and on the emeritus board. And I'm in the emergency room for alcohol poisoning. And when you first came in, tell that story. Cause you're, they're rolling you in. They're like, they didn't realize at all that this could be our chairman, Jerry Nichols with alcohol poisoning. They actually thought what it was a stroke, a heart attack. <laughs> they were like the, right. Yeah. They put me over on the neurological, neurological area of baroneurology, you know, thinking I had a, you know, some type of stroke or I'd had some type of blood clot or something like, Oh, he's just drunk. And you're yeah. like, no, I'm drunk. <laughs> well, I was out of it, but okay. you know, so I catch up to this thing and well, you know, before you move, think about that spot though. Oh. Right. So businesses, you know, you have this, right? You uh, initially don't graduate college, but then God's opened some really cool doors, right? And you're around these power players and you're kind of seeing how the sausage is made. You get into Merrill Lynch and things start, you know, you're doing well, right? Your paycheck is going up, your lifestyle's changing, you get married, and all of a sudden you realize, wow, this person that I've made this commitment to, she's violent. Right. Clearly, this is probably not a place where there was a lot of happiness. No. Right. And then things fall apart. 2008, I know for a lot of people, I was in that industry, right? That was like the final straw. What are you thinking? You know, during that period of time, had you transitioned from a place of kind of looking at this legalistic view, us and them, to a place of a personal relationship with Christ? Had that happened during that time yet? Or is that something that evolved uh, later? I would say I've, I had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ from when I was four years old. Okay. Um, and that's been very real. It just, that's the Saul Paul though dichotomy that I mm. reference mm-hmm. is I was, I had my own vector on it. So when did Saul transition into Paul? In rehab. Oh, really? I'll okay. tell you, it was, it would have been building, but to pick the story back up, I'm in the hospital there. They've got me on suicide watch, you know, all these kind of things, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, the lowest of lowest of lows you can be at. And I check myself into rehab from the hospital bed. I have the phone. I'm calling, getting squared away. And I get into rehab, and I tell you, I had lost everything. You know, the accounts have been closed. The bank account had been drained. It was, I had, you know, clothes on my back kind of thing in an S-Class Mercedes, which was just like, you know, I was broke, but I was at a car. And I finally get to the rehab spot. And was it the financial crash that led to all that? It was, was all. Other it was all of it. It was the the home life. It was the alcoholism. It was the financial markets. It was um, probably enough for another day. I did not follow God's direction. Um, in two thousand six, I felt impressed. I don't know how else to explain that, but it was in my spirit that it was to sell everything and get small. And I didn't do it. And I've uh, started to do it. And um, my uh, wife at the time said, if we sell this house, you know, uh, it's, we're getting a divorce. You know, I'm toes up here. I'm, you know, I want them to bury me here. This is, you know, we had tennis courts and gated community and live-in staff and all this kind of stuff. And um, it push came to shove. You know, we fought and she wouldn't sign the paperwork to list the house and to sell our assets because um, we owned them jointly. And 
uh, I just thought, this I must have it wrong. I must not have heard God right because how can my wife, my spouse, mm-hmm. and she loves the Lord. I know she'll be in heaven too. How could you know, we be in disagreement? Something must be wrong. And I walked away from that. And I will say that even as wrong as I was with the judgmental pieces and legalistic kind of pieces, I, I was doing what I thought was right. And in that moment, I pushed that off. And I'll fast forward, you know, some six, seven years later in rehab, me shaking my fist at God saying, look what I did. I didn't have sex before marriage. I did this. I did. I, I, I hear that coming through. Right. You know, I, and, but shaking my fist at him, do it kind of a Job moment. And just as clear as a bell, I get done with my rant. And the finger kind of pierces right through all that and touches my heart to that moment and says, I ask you to do this. And you didn't do it. And it wasn't so much of like big bad God beat me up. It was like, he's a just God, even though he's gracious and loving. He's like, I told you to do this and you went outside of my covering and I couldn't bless you anymore and I couldn't protect you anymore. You were on your own. And I just said, Lord, don't ever let me be on my own again. Mm. Don't ever let me be on my own again. I can hear the emotion and also the truth in that when you were taught, when you just said that, right, that God just came through, I could just see him as just as a loving father saying, you know, buddy, you know, hey, come here, son, <laughs> I told you what to do. I just, uh, I had goosebumps everywhere because I just could feel the truth in what uh, you were saying, right? And I think there's so many of us that are, you know, we're out there. And I know, I think some of the biggest valley experiences I've ever had was because I've been off kind of on my own program. There's just these constant nudges that God's like, don't go here. Don't be doing this. Don't expand into this market. And all of a sudden, the next thing I know, I'm like, how did I get here? Like he's true north. And I just slowly, like on an airplane, right? If I'm just two or three degrees off, even just a little bit off over a course of a long trip, like if we flew from here from Colorado to Hawaii, right? I'd be hundreds of miles away of where I want to land when I got there. If I'm just a couple <laughs> degrees off on my navigation. Mm. And think about it, if you're like, take a left turn, yeah, right? You're um, All of a sudden you're in rehab. I'm telling you. Right? And I'm in rehab, and I've got a borrowed shirt, borrowed sweatpants, and borrowed sandals. That's what I had on. That's all I had because they sent me straight from the hospital. And a car. Somewhere. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't have the keys. And, um, you know, I've got the DTs. I'm shaking like a late detoxing and sweating and, you know, crazy to go through that kind of process. But I'm laying on a cot in a room with a roommate, and I'm sure he thought I was crazy because I'm sobbing, and I'm just out of—I'm just— emotionally a basket case mm. and I cry out to God you know he's like I don't even know if he would even ever hear me again because of where I'm at and I just felt a hand come on put on my chest and I heard Jesus say I got you and it was it, like a physical like it felt like if your eyes were open it was like your roommate came over and put his hand on your chest but it was God's hand it felt like a physical hand mm. and I heard I got you mm-hmm. and it was Jesus and I knew it was him and it changed everything. And what was your first thought when you felt that and heard that? Oh, I wanted to reject it. I know you understand <laughs> where I'm at. I've failed. I've blown everything. I've mm-hmm. lost everything. Everything I've built. Everything that I thought God was calling me to to for His kingdom. I've destroyed it. Yeah. Me. No, there's no hope for me. It is hopeless. Mm-hmm. And that's where Satan's 
greatest tool is, you know, I don't know if you've heard the joke of the guy with Satan in the garage sale. And he's walking by, he's like, oh, wow, garage sale with Satan. So he takes a look and Satan's actually there. He says, well, hey, what's the greatest thing of value here? And he says, oh, this thing right here, he picks something off the table. He's like, well, what's that? He said, oh, this is despair. Despair? Why is despair so valuable? Oh, I said, but if I can get you to despair, I own everything you own. I've got you. Wow. And it's powerful. And that's where I was. I was in despair. And even with Jesus putting his hand on my chest saying, I got you, my first response was, no, I've blown it. It's over. I just went out of here. And the next emotion was that kind of spiritual hug mm-hmm. where you know you're loved. So that place where that first reaction, you know, where it came from, like, no, I'm not worthy. What was, how would you describe that? It came from my pain. It came from my sorrow. It came from the disappointments, that deep well of failure mm-hmm. and not measuring up, not being good enough. Guilt, and shame, I, well, fear of people's opinion. Well, think about you know the, my legalistic upbringing and that I was very judgmental. Mm. I judge myself the same way. Now you're one of those. Now you're not us, you're them. I'm telling you. I became them. <laughs> and of course, them going to hell. <laughs> You went from the motor coach to the short bus. <laughs> Going in the opposite direction of heaven, I'm telling you. So it was just one of those things where that was my first response. But you know, I just believe Jesus pushed through that. And I believe all of this was on purpose. God was putting me through the refiner's fire. He says, he'll bring you forth as, as pure gold. you got to pull that dross out. And it only, yep. only through time and heat. Mm-hmm. And so that's the answer to when did you cross over? When did you move out of that fundamentalist, legalistic, judgmental space into a personal relationship? Like, And I think it was your question was, well, I had a personal relationship with Christ, but I'm not sure that I really actually knew him as friend and as my... So you know who he was. You knew about him, but you didn't know him as a father. You didn't mm-hmm. know Jesus as a friend. You mm-hmm. didn't know Holy Spirit as a comforter and oh. a companion. Oh, no. Right, and those moments where everything was stripped away, mm. and I, now I was the object of all hate, judgment, reproach, and you had. And it's, now it's, that was coming in from. I'm guessing, right? You've gone through this, right, in the position you were in. Now this is actually now coming into your life from the world, from these relationships, mm. and I'm guessing a lot of some of the comments that are made are from people that are your Christian brothers and sisters. Also, that maybe you're in a relationship with is that is that uh, true? Sure, you know it's. I'll tell you, it's a whirlwind when you lose everything, mm-hmm. and it's your fault, mm-hmm. and you've disappointed everybody. Everybody, and rightfully so. They should mm-hmm. be upset. There's things that you. There's so much carnage. Is like we're, it's impossible to clean it up, and so that's that overwhelming space that Satan will try to push you into. And that's mm. that despair. That's where despair lives, isn't it? And he says, I got you. And like, he had, this can't he had get better. Me. It won't get better. You did this to yourself. Which you deserve just, it. Yeah, and because I've had some of these thoughts before, too, that's almost like you have this identity that's false, right? That I'm actually a failure, that I'm not worthy, of, that I'm actually not somebody capable of achieving greatness or even success or something even meaningful. And then all of a sudden, if I take a, a life event like that as proof of that, and I lock that in for the rest of my life, I'm going to be completely ineffective and live a life, quite frankly, 
where there's going to be very little joy and very little actually life. Because, you know, Christ said, I came here to give you life so that you may live it to the full. But what the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It's true. And that's what his goal is. His goal is to steal from us the full life in Christ that was promised to us in that relationship. Right? And when we accept an identity, which is not in alignment of the identity that God sees when he looks at us, Right? When we strip away all this stuff that we've left in that is false, hmm. lies that we've accepted as truths about ourselves, right? I know for myself, it's been that journey of actually really digging in, in my prayer time with my friends, with my wife, with my coach to actually say, what is some of this stuff that even to this day with everything I've journeyed through that's still kind of between me and my full potential in Christ, not my full potential to serve myself, right? Because that's the direction I want to go. And there's still stuff. There's still stuff, though, because think about this, right? All this stuff that you're talking about, and Satan is very aware of this, just in our brain, it forms how we think. It forms our habits. We actually create neural pathways that actually start to get hardwired. It's like coding a computer. Mm -hmm. And I've actually put bad code in there. And you know what? We actually have the ability. Here's the good news. God gave us the ability to actually go in and actually figure out, you know what? That's bad code. And how do you get rid of bad code? Hmm. Well, actually in the brain, that neural pathway, once it's wired, actually does not ever go away. But it's like a path in the forest, right? You ever been like, you're out in Oklahoma, you're hunting, you know, the cow path, it's completely worn. Mm -hmm. And if you shift the cows to another pasture over, you know, a couple years later, you can still tell that there was a path there, but it's all grown over. Hmm. That's what happens in our brain. The less we use that path, it starts to grow over, but we can also snap back to it. I'll guarantee in AA, they, in AA, they talk to you about, right? You can snap back into 20, 30 years later into some of these old habits, right? Sure. Because all that stuff is still there, but we have to create new thinking, new habits. And that is where I've seen just an incredible partnership in my life and what God and Christ, Holy Spirit have done to actually help me create new thinking and how I'm showing up and viewing myself from what he sees versus maybe my perception. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, I think it's a powerful thing to understand how the mind and the spirit works and to also see how God can redeem them. And God redeems the spirit. He doesn't ever redeem the mind or the emotions because that's broken man and fallen man is not redeemable. Mm. A lot of times we talk to about a soul. A soul has three parts. Soul has mind, and then it has emotions, and it has spirit. It says in the beginning, and we're Genesis, where God breathed, rah, God breathed spirit into man, and he became a living soul. Mm-hmm. Mind, emotion, spirit. Yeah. And Paul says, if you follow the mind and the emotions, you walk after the flesh, you'll fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if you walk after the spirit... You will not. So when you, that's the powerful thing is most times we think the physical is the reality. It's the facade. The spiritual is the reality. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. Are you like me where you start a book and then bright, shiny object syndrome distracts you and you start a new one? Soon after you got four or five books on your nightstand or unfinished on your Kindle? Well, last year, John and I both subscribed to a book summary service called Blinkist. Blinkist divides the biggest thoughts and ideas of every book into short little blinks. That's what they call them. 
and you can finish most of those summaries in less than 15 minutes. The app is beautifully designed and you can listen to the audio versions while reading along or while on the go. When John and I would hang out after his accident, he coached me up and one of the things that he told me to do was read at least 10 pages of a book in bed before going to sleep. But I've translated that into a Blinkist summary. So on a few of them, like How to Win Friends and Influence People, I've read the blinks, then reread them over a few days to really get those key points in my conscious and subconscious. Try them for a free seven-day trial, and if you use the affiliate link embedded in the summary of this MP3 or at eternalleadership.com slash blink, if you like the service and end up subscribing, you'll be helping to offset the costs associated with producing this show. Beauty of affiliate marketing. Again, the link is at eternalleadership.com slash blink and embedded in the summary of this mp3 thanks so what did you do jerry as you walked through this to really connect to and tap into the spirit side of things in my brokenness because there was so much of a mess there was no way i was ever going to make the things right there's no way i was ever going to um, be able to get back on course in any way and i was desperate mm-hmm. and so I was on my knees a lot. And you mentioned AA and the prehab program that I went into was a uh, biblical Christian based and AA traditional program. And AA taught me several prayers. And at the moment they were wrote because I was so messed up. I needed to read. I couldn't, you know, it was, you know, I wasn't capable of doing anything on my own. I had to have instructions. And, but what was interesting is it got me back into my prayer life. And through that prayer life is where mm. I found that relationship of the person of Jesus Christ, the truth yeah. with a capital T. Truth is a person. And I was able to experience that through my prayer life. And I always said, I don't know if you have ADHD in your prayer life, but I do. And as soon as I hit my knees on the ground, I, I can think of 10 things to be doing. My back is hurting. You know, I'm cold. I, you know, I need a cup of coffee. I mean, I, it, it's, it's crazy how my mind works when I go to pray. Um, but, you know, pressing into that, though. Mm-hmm. And pressing past that mind and emotion into mm-hmm. the spirit, so that it's a conscious step that I've taken to be spiritually minded. And the way I do that is much like what David said, "Early will I seek you," and meaning it, first thing in the morning. I've got a rocking chair. I love rocking chairs, and I think it's my great great grandmother's rocking chair. And I've got a prayer shawl draped over it, and that's my altar, and that's my quiet space in the morning. I hit my knees there, and. I use a, a system, if you will, just to try to keep my ADHD <laughs> mind focus is ACTS, A-C-T-S. So yeah. acknowledge God for who he is. That's the A. The C. So that's the gratitude. Yeah. Right? Well, he's God. I'm not. Yeah. This is not gratitude. This is about um, leadership. Okay. He's the head. Okay. I acknowledge him as God Almighty. Mm-hmm. I'm his servant, not the other way around. I'm not going to dream up good works for him to come bless. He's going to initiate and tell me he's got this plan, and I'll join him. I acknowledge him as God. Good. Thank you for the clarification. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. C is uh, the ACTS acronym. C is confession. Mm. You know, confess. And typically needs, is needed daily. It's like bathing and eating. <laughs> yeah. Then T of the ACTS is thanksgiving. And this mm. is the gratitude part, is, yeah. is to thank God for everything, even the bad things, because those bad things can turn into good things. And then S is supplication. God, I have needs. And he says, bring your cares to me. Cast them on me. Let me know your concerns. And so I I use that as just a walkthrough, not as a formula, 
like I've got the magic genie code here and I'm going to get everything I want. It's just a way for me to structure God, your God. I know I have sin in my life. Deal with that. I confess it. And then I thank you for your mercy and your grace and your joy and your peace and that you love me. And then, Lord, there are things I don't know what to do. I need guidance on. And so that I walk through that process and I do that in the morning. And I'll, I'll tell you. Have uh, you found one of those parts more challenging than others? Which part? Acknowledge. Oh, I, I right? see. Confe- uh, I mean, sometimes I'm actually the, the pretty con- good at saying, here's all the stuff I screwed up. The confession piece is challenging because I don't want to own my sin. That's the broken nature of man. You know, that's interesting. If you actually look at what I believe to be a kingdom leader, right? One of the things that would transform every organization, right? Every family. If we took personal responsibility for every thought that we had, the feeling that that led to, and then the action that we Mm -hmm. took, if we actually owned it and said, hey, that wasn't the fault because I was a victim of this. I didn't, you know, I got mad at my wife because, you know, that's just what is my habit because of. But if I said, you know what, I chose to be angry in that situation and I got to work on that. And I need to go to my wife and say, honey, I am sorry. Forgive me. You can hold me accountable not to do that again. Hmm. When I was dealing with some anger problems and I'd go to her and say that, she goes, I'm not comfortable holding you accountable. Hmm. I've never hurt her. We've never had any kind of physical problem. But when I was before my accident and I've gone on this journey and really transformed my mind toward the mind of Christ, I'm still on that journey, but before in my frustration being so, I think, out of alignment, it just manifested in being anger, angry, being short, being sarcastic. Mm. I would cut you. Be I'd use. I'd be sarcasm in a way to hurt you before you could do it to me. Mm. Yeah. Right. And that was right. And I didn't own any of that. And what a miserable place to be. But anyway, so you know that's one of the things for me. When you were talking about that, there was two things that jumped out as. Confessing the sin, but then actually owning the responsibility for the choices that I made that actually led to that. Mm-hmm. But then that's also become part of my prayer life is God show me those strongholds mm-hmm. in my mind, in my thought life, in my habits that are actually leading to this. Because it happens so quick sometimes because mm-hmm. it's such a habit. I'm like, man, I don't know how to undo it. Like mm-hmm. I need help. And I think that's also being in a relationship with others. That's sort of some of the things we've shared in our forum we had some guys share this morning some pretty real stuff that we were like, wow, he just said that. Like, thank you. I was so grateful that we got to a level just in our group hmm. of just openness, rawness, and authenticity that, you know what, at that deep level that I have relationships in my life where I could, you know, we can share those kind of things. Hmm. And I think that's missing with a lot of men and women out there. It's a powerful component to that prayer life that is directed in the spiritual realm and then connecting in the physical realm to our brother mm-hmm. and sister. It's so important because God built us to live in community. Yeah. And sometimes because of the fallen nature of man, community is tough and rough and there's brokenness there too. And there's a mess there. You got everything from crime, murder, abuse, uh, racism, bigotry. You got all these things that happen that yet that wasn't God's plan, but he has the ability to, make the crooked straight yeah, and to take the mess and make it a masterpiece. Right. And that happens through prayer, 
through community and that accountability. Iron sharpens iron, where you have like-minded individuals that push on each other. And then it's God's Word. And I, I, one of the next things that was so powerful for me was I started reading the Bible through, cover to cover, in a very short period of time. So YouVersion is a Bible app. Yeah, you talked about that this morning. And they've got basically this 90-day plan. And mm-hmm. for me, when I first thought about this, reading the Bible in like five years sounded like a good goal. <laughs> you know, 90 days, you're like, wait a minute, uh, overachiever, what's going on here? How are you going to do that? I'm not going to be able to live. I mean, I'm gonna, how will I work? When will I sleep? You know, so what's amazing is it's kind of like just chunked out for you day by day by day. But with the amazing thing is I typically finish it before 90 days because it gets so good. Sometimes you go on and there's different versions that have a narration option as well. And so when I'm working out or taking a walk or t- driving someplace, I'll just put the Bible on. And so I've gone through the Bible a lot. I've lost count how many times I've, I've gone through the whole thing, but it's given me context from well, cover the to cover. version, is that the one that has the little videos, the vignettes? It has, it has several things. I got to tell you guys, if you want to go through the Bible, I did the one-year plan. I'm on, again, uh, the second one again with you version. And like they'll explain the entire book of, let's say, Daniel and where it fits into the whole rest of the story and some of the really key learning points. And I got to tell you, it's actually because it's the living word for a reason. Mm. But I got to tell you, the U version way of reading it and what they've put in there is to really kind of highlight for me is really enriched. We were talking this morning, Jerry, too. It's not just about scriptures, right? Learning points, Bible stories. It's about the fabric of the totality of this relationship that God has with us that was is and is ongoing Mm. and we were talking about just world events right now Mm. right and there's been crazy stuff happening in the past in the bible both with individuals culture society cities and that's happening right now in the present right i gotta tell you just that part of that conversation this morning was really encouraging to me yeah i think we have a responsibility to be agents of the kingdom Mm -hmm. and when we don't you see chaos, you see destruction, you see pain, but we have a huge opportunity and God can turn anything around today with one person mm-hmm. committed to God. Literally, I've seen it too many times, seen it happen in our group, seen it happen in our city here in Denver mm-hmm. and uh, Evergreen where I live, is that when you surrender to God, God has a plan and that plan will be carried out and I can be a part of that plan and that's an amazing opportunity. And God takes the initiative. I don't have to dream things up because I'll tell you, before the, my transformation, I would dream things up and ask God to come bless them. That's master of the universe. I'm doing things for God. It's all got the great intentions. Right. But God, I've got this great program to feed homeless. Come bless it. You know, all you got to do is show up, God, because I've got everything else covered. And God's going, <laughs> I just need the money. I need you, somebody to fund this. Are you kidding I'm me? Rock and roll. And that's that part of that ACTS acronym. Acknowledge. Lord, mm. Who's God? Who chooses the program? Who chooses the activity? Who chooses? If it's going to be me, I've got to tell you, that's not a position I want to be in anymore. I've learned a lesson there. I get ground to powder. And the word says well, that that is... Anything that's of good intentions that God did not initiate, that God is not building, is wood, hay, stubble, and will be consumed in the fire. He says, unless I build the house, you're laboring in vain. So if you think about before my transformation, a lot of that was me laboring in vain. I was doing good works for God. And now, instead of me doing good works for God and being frustrated when the money doesn't show up, 
to feed the homeless and say, what's going on with God? Instead, I say, God, what do you want me to do? And I show up and the money is already there. And he just needs someone to serve the food. Well, you know, in the past, were you doing the good works because you felt like that's what you needed to do to be in God's good graces or pleasure? What was maybe driving the work ethic in the past? Yeah, I think it was earning my way to heaven. You look at the Bible, and, and we're built for rewards. And there's rewards. Yeah. It talks about a crown and jewels and laid up and levels of heaven. There, I mean, it's in there. Read it. Yeah, I want um, the big house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I've always wanted a house with a pool. Maybe up there I'll get one. I don't know. It hasn't happened yet, but. <laughs> well, you know, it is kind of funny. We're built for rewards. And so I was, Satan took that desire that God placed in my heart mm. to please him and to do for the kingdom and perverted it and said, okay, Jerry, let's let you and me decide. Yeah. And it was good stuff. But if God's not building the house, you labor in vain. Yeah. And so I said, okay. I had to take that desire that would have been perverted and twisted and straighten it back out and say, my desire is to glorify God and to be in his work. Yeah. Okay, let's just back up. Where did I go wrong? The next step was uh, my desire was to be with God and to be in his work, and I'll decide what's going to happen because that's what I do. I get up in the morning, I brush my teeth, I put on my blue socks, black socks, okay, jeans or slacks. You know, you know, I make decisions. That's what I do but to a point under his authority. And when I get in alignment with him, it's a hot knife through butter. Things start happening. You're like, how did that happen? Wait a minute. I mean, like with my experience, the month before I had my chapter 11 bankruptcy mm -hmm. approved, the very next month I bought a $2 million property. How do you do that, God? I don't know. It's impossible. It's financially impossible. Right. Without fraud or hiding money someplace or something like that. And I hadn't. And literally, the Lord delivered, owner carry, <laughs> operate. I was like, you've got, it was God, God. And I did not decide. I did not choose. I let the Lord direct my steps. Right. And it was a hot knife through butter. Now, I will have to tell you, though, he's like, oh, that's an amazing story. That's beautiful. I mean, you just had such peace and joy through that whole thing. No, I had no idea what was going on. People was like, what are you doing? You're crazy. Why are you doing this? I'm like, where are you going to live? I don't know. Uh, where are you going to get the money? I don't know. How do you know God told you? I don't know. I mean, I know for sure in my heart, but I don't have a text. I don't have a letter. I, you know, I don't have an email. I wish I did. Did it kind of feel like before when God said, hey, I need, you know, 2006, hey, I need you to scale down. Hey, bingo. And you, and you walked away. Bingo. But you just know that you know sometimes, and, right? And like this is God in my spirit. There's some things that's going on in our business right now that when we first started down this path did not make sense to people. And today you can see it's all in the wall. What's happening yeah. is all because of that. Well, I just got cold chills on that piece mm -hmm. because that is the inflection point. Mm. Peter, do you love me? Mm -hmm. You know I do, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Mm -hmm. You know I do, Lord. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Mm -hmm. you know, do what I tell you to do. And think about that. He said that to Peter three times because Peter had denied him. Yeah. Think about what an amazing friend Christ is. Absolutely. Because he did that to restore Absolutely. the relationship. Jesus already had that relationship <laughs> with Peter. But he wanted Peter to know mm. that even though that happened, 
man, I love you, but you're my boy. Yeah. Right? You're going to feed my I'm going to build my house. I'm going <laughs> to build rock. my church on you. You're my rock. It's amazing. And I'm not talking about a boulder. I'm talking yeah. about a foundation. And that is I mean, the, what an amazing, I mean, the just the person of Jesus. You mentioned I mean, the word restore. Yeah. yeah. So he redeemed Peter. Yeah. Redeemed his spirit. Mm-hmm. But then he restored him. Yeah, he did. And that's, that's God. You know, he will redeem you out of your mess. Yeah. And then he'll restore you. And then and, he'll launch you. What did he oh. look at? He launched Peter in. Oh, built amazing. the biggest church in the world. It's amazing what God does mm-hmm. and what he can do. But God is not a box with a steeple on it. God is not in a box. No. And God will not be put in a box. And yeah. sometimes I would say he's very unconventional and yeah. goes against pop culture and goes against maybe my intuition. But that's the point is he's not a formulaic God. Hey, just read the Bible through five times and you got the formula and you go. Jesus, when he was getting ready to depart, didn't this world didn't say, um, guys, I've got good news and bad news. Which one do you want first? And they're like, the good news. He's like, all right, here's the good news. Here's the gospel. Go preach it, right? The good news is you're going to have this thing called the Bible. Right. And it's going to be everything you need. And it's going to be amazing. The bad news, well... It's about 1,300 years away. <laughs> so you're not going to get to use it. Your kids, kids, kids aren't going to get to use it. But it's eventually coming. No, he said, I will leave you a comforter yeah, who will lead and guide you into all truth. So Jerry doesn't like the Bible? No, I love the Bible. God, that's part of his plan, part of uh, what we utilize as our toolbox. But the Spirit mm-hmm. bears witness. And if you're not in that alignment... And in that relationship, I can read the Bible without a relationship. Right. I can't be in tune with the Spirit without a relationship, without spending. And the way God spells love is T-I-M-E. Surrender you and your time to me. And then he takes that and multiplies it. And that's an interesting thing. Uh, Right after I got out of rehab and was trying to get my life back together, I went to Israel Mm. about nine months later the following year. And I had something that just really kind of transformed me. And God likes to play i think um with you just a little bit he does have a sense of humor and so he was playing with my legalism so i got to to israel and we were dealing with the idf and doing some work there and i was there for about a week and i needed to come back my plane flight was back on sunday i need to be back in new york for a meeting and so i needed to change the flight to saturday so I'm flying to El Al, the national airline there, out of Tel Aviv. And so I call them and say, I need a flight on Saturday. Just what do you have? And there's like, uh, we're sold out. We don't have anything. Huh. What other airline can you tell me to go to? They're like, nobody has any flights on Saturday. I don't understand. They're like, it's Shabbat. I'm like, um, who shot who? And she's like, Shabbat. It's the Sabbath. The Sabbath? What do you mean? Like, well, from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, the airport's closed. I was like, don't give me that. I know you're constantly under attack. I know the military is always flying and ready to roll. You've got people and personnel and security. Somebody's working. And she's like, yeah, but it, they get a pass from the rabbi. Everything else for personal or commercial use is canceled because of Shabbat. 
And I thought, what is going on here? Is it dark ages? I mean, what's happening here? And then about that time, I'm in a... How, how could they take that seriously? Come on now. I'm telling you. They got to get business done. I know. So you see how God's playing with my legalism, though. Right. Because yeah, I'm not going to be that legalistic, right? Because the bunny starts throwing it in my face. And so I'm at the hotel, and I'm in this four-star hotel in Old Jerusalem, and I see a slip come under the door, and I walk over to the door and pick up the slip, and it says, all services will be suspended this afternoon at sundown until Sunday, uh, Saturday at sundown. So Shabbat is happening now in my hotel. I'm like, what's going on here? And so a few hours later, uh, the host that was kind of coordinating things for us called and said, hey, I don't know if you know it or not, but tonight's Shabbat. I was like, well, I'm finding out about Shabbat a lot. And he said, well, he said, you know, we'd love to have you join us for Shabbat. And I was like, what does that entail? He said, well, we have dinner together. I was like, okay, sounds good. He said, well, you know what? I'll pick you up. You know, it's like, okay. So I come out of the hotel. I was like, where's the car? He said, oh, we're walking. Huh. Why are we walking? He's like, well, it's only five, six, seven blocks away. I said, okay. And he said, and we don't use the car. It's Shabbat. Hmm. So we get down in the neighborhood. It seems really dark. He says, you know, is it dark out? I'm like, yeah. He's like, all the lights are off. Why? Shabbat. Huh. And I got to think, I was like, hey, how are we going to eat dinner if everything's, all the electricity's off? You can't use any. He goes, oh, yeah, we cooked it this afternoon. It's in the ovens. We just shut the oven off and close the door. Huh. So I have this amazing Shabbat meal with his family and come back to my hotel feeling like I'm in the twilight zone. And you were supposed to, according to what your wishes, be gone. You would have flown out. You would have not had any of this experience. Is that correct? That's exactly right. And so here's this legalistic, in my mind's eye, and from coming, you know, here's a legalistic guy calling somebody else legalistic, you know, which is really kind of funny. And so um, I didn't know what to do with that. And so as I started reading through the Bible, cover, 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 in the beginning, God took a day of rest and called it the Sabbath. And he told man to do so as well. It wasn't a covenant with Abraham or Moses or with Jesus. It was from the beginning. And he said, forever. I was like, wait a minute. I've gotten rid of this legalism stuff. And now here it is right back at the front door. You know, you can imagine any kind of thing just being legalistic. But I felt convicted. And again, this is my story. So Mm -hmm. don't let me project this on anyone. But I felt convicted in my spirit that I was a workaholic. And that I worked all the time. And part of the reason why I went astray was I emptied my tank too frequently and was running on fumes. And the Lord convicted me and said, you need to rest. And so I will tell you, I, I haven't done it perfectly, but I've become a bit of a messianic Jew because as I've been reading through the Bible, there's several things that are forever. And yeah. so I've started to kind of paying attention to those. But with the hardest thing I do every week, there's two things that are the hardest things. One is to get on my knees in the morning. I mean, there's a spiritual fight for me to get on my knees every morning, and I push through it because now I know that that's opposition. The second is the Sabbath every week to take a day of rest. It is one of the hardest things I do because I love to work. I enjoy what I do. I don't think it's work, but God designed me to rest, and when I take that rest, I can have that relationship. I can slow down just enough for the Spirit to speak in to my situation again and pierce through the darkness that is surrounding me in my own heart and in the world and can touch me. But I have to take that pause. I have to be willing to surrender that time. Mm -hmm. And I thought at that time in my life, remember I have all these messes and all these things that I'm trying to, I've lost millions. I've, I've destroyed so much stuff. It's crazy. I'm trying to rebuild it on it. I don't need to have one day less. I need eight days. I don't need six days. You went the wrong direction, God. But actually it has manifested things in my life that I just never thought possible by actually taking a day off to be in touch with the creator of the universe, the true master 
of the universe. And when I get in touch with that master of the universe and surrender my brokenness that wants to become master of the universe, but I didn't create this universe and it will grind me to powder, but I surrender that desire to the master of the universe and say, Lord, this time is from you and me daily. I I renew my mind daily. And then there's this time on a week that you've told me to rest and I'm going to rest. And so you might be thinking, so what are the outcomes? You know, how do you know it's working? Half the time I don't, you know, because yeah, I just have to push through and say, I've been called to do this and I'm going to show up and do it. And whether it feels good or whether I have a great outcome or I have a warm fuzzy and I've gotten out of the warm fuzzy. So that's a consumerism based prayer life. That's true. Um, well, and also everybody listening, especially people, you know, business, entrepreneurial, it's been a bit counterintuitive for me, maybe you too, Jerry, but this way of operating where acknowledging the sovereignty of God and what I do to have him guide my steps. I have not actually, I have goals and milestones and objectives for this year, but I don't have a three, four, five year business plan. I really don't. And I know that operating the way that you are describing right now, listening to that inner voice, God has led you into starting a number of different things. One of them, we don't really have time to talk about, but it's called uh, forensic marketing. And it is a game changer. God gave you the idea. Your company is what, tripling and then tripling. I mean, what's happening is incredible. So anybody out there who is actually, I would just encourage you, if you're looking at an approach to marketing that will honestly blow your mind, because I've sat down with Jerry and, and looked at what he's doing, and we're going to be incorporating what Jerry's doing into what we're doing. It's forensicmarketing.biz. Dot biz. So mm-hmm. forensicmarketing.biz. Because I'd love for people to just check out what you're doing on the business side, man, because you're doing kingdom work. But just, you know, as we wrap up, just think about everybody out there who've just been listening to this conversation. And we need to have you back on because this was awesome. What's just maybe just a couple final points or thoughts or what's on your heart? Or maybe you just want to pray with everybody out there, whatever. But how would you like to kind of? Really three things. Mm-hmm. First thing is fail forward. Mm. So with my story, I have recently failed. You know, I got married again and got divorced. And so please don't think of me as any spiritual guru or leader. I'm not. I'm struggling. I work it through. Some days it's better than others. That's why I'm a part of men's group. I am um, make myself accountable. I seek help. I ask for mm-hmm. people to speak into my life. So that's the first thing is fail forward. Yeah. And if you get up and you fail, get back up. Uh, it says a good man you know, gets up seven times, I think is mm-hmm. what it was. Gets knocked down and you just get back up again. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that truth is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. Mm. And he will redeem the unredeemable. And he will restore things that cannot be restored. And the third thing is you have to spend time. And it is counterintuitive because most people on this call or on this podcast listening, and certainly myself, the first thing I think of is I don't have enough time. I'm already maxed out. What are you telling me? You got to spend time. Jerry, you give me this list of to do's that's going to just crush my week. I get on my knees every morning. I need to take a day off. I mean, my word, you know, my, I don't have time to do all the things that I need to do now. You don't have time not to. And so it is a different way of thinking. And so just to kind of run that back through, fail forward. Know that truth is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And the third is 
if you want to be in kingdom work, you got to go to the master for the assignment. Mm. And that takes time. And that is time is not you taking a walk, dreaming up projects for God to bless. It is seeking him and asking him to invite you to be a part of his plan that he's going to accomplish with or without you. Because the fun thing is this, everything's already happened. So God created time. He does not serve time. Time serves him. So that means he was before, during, and after time. So everything has already happened. That's how I can rely on the confidence mm. that when I go to God in prayer, I can trust whatever outcome because he's already seen it. This is why Jesus said in Matthew, he said, do not think about tomorrow. It has enough trouble of its own. Think only about the day. That seems flippant, arrogant, and actually bad stewardship, right? How can you say that? It's already happened. You're not responsible for the past or the future. You're only responsible for now. So be present with my presence mm. in the now. And when you are, that's where everything changes. Because that's why nothing's impossible for God. Now, there's a mystery of free will. Like, if everything's already happened, wait a minute. What's my choice in it just now? I don't understand that. Me either. <laughs> but all I'm responsible for is right now. Well, God, you know... There's no time constraints. It doesn't mean he controls your action, but he knows what your actions were, what the results and the outcomes, and whether then you invited him to join you in, like, cleaning up this mess or creating something that he put on your heart. Absolutely. But yeah, his, like in Job, right? His plans are bigger than anything we can ever understand. Absolutely. And what I've known just walking through adversity is that there is nowhere in Scripture where God promises us an explanation on anything that's happening in our life or our world or what we're a part of. He doesn't promise that, but what he promises is his presence, his friendship, his love, his grace, and that he will walk with us through anything that happens in our life, including what we get ourselves into or what happens in life. I, I think some of the things that I've that have happened in my life, they're not nefarious, they're not Satan-caused. I don't think God did it to teach me a lesson. I think some of them are just, you know, Stuff happens. I made a bad choice. And then, you know, there was consequences. And then all of a sudden, you know, but then I have to walk through it. So that's right. I don't see it as, that's my personal view. I don't, so dude, wow, that was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You are the best. I appreciate it. Love you, man. God be the glory. <laughs>